Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Sophie Howe's career has spanned art, design, activism, and writing. She was the co-founder of the School of Life and founder of the department store for the mind, um, and amongst many other roles that she's held, a curator of public programs at the Tate Modern. She's the author of several books, including Street Photography Now and Family Photography Now, and as well as in her past, many commissioning many other books through her different roles. Her latest book is The Mindful Photographer, published by Tenzin Hudson's, Hudson, and it is about photography, using photography to slow down and pay attention. Thank you so much for being here today. It's so lovely to be with you. Thank you. Well, let's start by talking about The Mindful Photographer. Um, it is so delightful, and it's, and it's really interesting because... Um, as I'm sure many listeners will know, I spent 15 years as a photographer and I picked up a camera, first of all, when I was 16. And so much of what is in this book is exactly what drew me to photography in the first place. So I just, I guess I want to know is that where, like, where did it begin for you, the mindful photography? Did it begin with mindfulness? Did it begin with photography or was it somehow came together as a blend of two? Well, I'm really touched to hear you say that, and um, although the book hasn't quite come out, comes out in a few weeks' time, um, a couple of photographers who've seen it have said, oh, it's the book that I've been looking for, or it's the book I need, and so that really touches me to feel like it might take people a bit back to what they loved about photography, and my sense is that often the deeper you get into a world, so if you become a professional photographer, or you become part of the photography world whatever that is you kind of lose touch a bit with what first drew you to it and I am not a photographer (laughs) I do have a history of writing about photography but I'm a real sort of amateur that might have my phone in my back pocket so um, in some ways I feel like I've come at it without any of the baggage of understanding how the system of photography galleries works or understanding much about shutter speeds and apertures or having really any interest in equipment I'm interested in looking and noticing, and I'm interested in the politics of that. And I hope that that actually puts me in quite a refreshing position to yeah, take things back to basics. Oh, I, it's just, it's so true. And in fact, because I'm now not really shooting anymore, or I am a little bit, but not, I, it's not now my main work anymore. It's almost like I've been given permission to take pictures again. And I know that sounds really strange, <laughs> but um, but when you turn anything into a job, um, it, it really does change how you approach it. And photography for me, right from the beginning, when I was 16, became a place of refuge. And I think it is for a lot of people, like a lot of art forms. Um, and there's something about the physicality of photography that is so um, unique. You know, I just... You know, the year I was 16, I spent an awful lot of time in the dark room and it became a safe place. And it's a, and because photography has obviously moved on into such a different direction now with digital photography than it was then, um, it, it used to be something that was literally a mindful act for me because, you know, the act of, of um, standing in the comp- complete pitch back and unspooling rolls of film and putting them in chemicals and turning them and you have to count the turns and you've got to and you've got to kind of everything is is very slow and measured um and though that feels like so far away from what I've done as a professional Mm. photographer in a way that this book has really reminded me of why I did it in the first place um 
so so you uh, came at it as an amateur photographer. That is so fascinating to me. So you know, really, um, in, a, in a way that sort of opens up a totally different conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, and I actually think that I'm trying to come at more things as an amateur. I mean, I, my first job was as a curator at Tate Modern. And I think really I just feel myself to be an artist. But of course, once you've been a curator for ages, it becomes difficult to be an artist. Once you've commissioned books, it becomes difficult to write books. Once you've written books about photography, it becomes difficult to even just take a few of your own ordinary pictures of, you know, what's in your garden or what your children are doing. So there's something about just recovering the joy of being an amateur, of seeing things. There's a lot in this book about um, just looking with freshness, seeing things as if for the first time, having a sense of wonder. And also, I think, freeing myself from feeling that everything has to be good and has to be excellent and I have to be accomplished and just the joy of process, the joy of making, making things where it doesn't matter if they're any good or not. Um, and I definitely really would love it if that is a kind of permission slip that the book gives people just to get back to the enjoyment of using a camera or even of not using a camera. I feel like very much like you don't really need a camera to use this book. It's about looking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's what's so interesting. And in fact, actually, there are exercises peppered throughout the book, um, mindful exercises, as well as exercises of, of looking. Um, and, and some of them don't involve cameras at all. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are simply about looking and framing things. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting when you stop and you specifically think about how you would frame something. It, it's, it's like a process of, of discrimination, isn't it? It's like you suddenly decide to focus in on something. Um, and it does something to your mind when you do that, when you become, when it becomes a practice. And so a lot of this book is about practice, isn't it? Definitely. Practice runs right through it. And I think, um, I suppose that comes from my interest in mindfulness, that mindfulness is about practice. It's not about accomplishment. It's not about being good about it. It's just about, um, awareness of your awareness and, um, returning mm. to, um, the safe place that is also, an edge place and a risk-taking place, which is just to watch, watch what you're watching, watch your own mind, and always, always to be a beginner, always to be a learner. So practice definitely there, right at the heart um, of the whole book. I really loved that emphasis on the beginner's mind. It's so freeing in a way, isn't it? And it's and it's funny in a way, like when I wrote my first nonfiction book I approached it as a complete beginner and didn't really get any input particularly actually from anybody else and in some ways that was really great and really freeing and now I feel like I'm a beginner again so I'm writing a novel which again is just like totally new for me um, and it's and in a way it's kind of it is kind of freeing just allowing yourself to be a beginner at something isn't it I feel like um, sometimes there's a phrase that I have about beginning in the middle, that there's something for me about middle age, which I, I guess I'm middle-aged, um, that kind of gives you this sense of awareness of um, the finiteness of life and therefore you just want to get on with doing the things you want to do. And I feel like there are lots of new beginnings happening for me in my life at the moment and that has something to do with awareness of the end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You almost can't separate them, can you? Um, it's about our awareness of the finiteness that allows us to be a beginner in mm -hmm. a strange kind of way. So there's a chapter at the end of the book um, on impermanence and some beautiful um, 
two photographers, a wonderful Bangladeshi photographer called Sarka Protik, who also was in my book about family photography, um, taking some pictures of his parents, his grandparents in the last year of their life, and also work by Sally Mann, um, who has who makes a who lot of very of my, reflective work on death. Oh, yeah. one of my all-time favorite yeah. photographers. Yeah, and I think um, I talk about the memento mori tradition in um, which is quite well known in painting of kind of you know ob- objects to uh, to help you to contemplate death and therefore kind of get more from life. But this is, I think, this is a really strong tradition in photography, and it's just a really good awareness. It's a really good mindful awareness to have all the time, not in a morbid way but in a way that allows us to really um, feel very keenly the vitality and the opportunity of being alive. And in a way you can, you see, you, you feel that through family photography as well, you know, to kind of document, for instance, your children at a certain age is to kind of acknowledge that that time is also gone when you look back. In fact, I was just the other day looking back on pictures um, with my daughter of her, for some reason, we were looking for something, we mm-hmm. found some old pictures of her. Um, and she said something like, um, I remember saying to her, oh, I, I, um, I, I miss, I miss that child sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like that child that you once mm-hmm. were. And then we were looking at pictures of her cat who we got a year ago and he was, we were looking at that first day he arrived and how tiny. And she said, oh, mom, I miss that kitten, you know, and, and it's like in a way capturing those moments is sort of an acknowledgement that those moments are fleeting. Yeah, and how wonderful the first time that a child really has a consciousness of time passing and therefore each moment being precious. And I suppose when we're very young, we don't have any sense of that. And generally, as a child, you're not really too bothered about, am I making the best use of my time? And will I get that moment back? But it's really lovely to think that by looking at photographs, you feel um, the fleetingness and you feel the preciousness then of each Mm -hmm. moment that and I love that recognition that she will she remembers how it was when the cat was a kitten and that helps her to identify with you feeling precious about how it was when she was younger. And I found when I was writing my book about family photography so much research about how great it is for kids' well-being to see photos of themselves. And I started making much more of a conscious effort to print out pictures and put pictures around our house of the kids and and help it really reinforce their sense of belonging and identity. But I hadn't really thought about this sense also that expands their range of being able to take in the past as part of their present. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? I know, and that's actually something I'm terrible at, of actually having photographs out. I've got one pin board in the kitchen, and I put photos up on this pin board, but I'm really terrible about that. Isn't that shocking? This is, again, this is a a hangover, I think, of being a professional photographer. Well, I mean... Um, I get oversaturated with images. I mean, I really had to make myself... I thought, I can't be writing a book about family photography and not printing my own... pictures of my own family this is just not acceptable so I had to like stop and do it (laughs) (laughs) but so um I'm really curious about this um this a couple of a couple of and you had some you have some really incredible quotes as well as some gorgeous photography by photographers from all around the world and and across you know the last you know hundred or so years um so the so I want to ask you a, a bit about the um the process of deciding who to include uh, and and how difficult that was from a copyright perspective or whether it was quite straightforward or I, I'd love to hear about that process of, um, of, of illustrating what it was that you wanted to say. 
I think one thing that was very important to me throughout was not to water down mindfulness. I, I talk about this in the book, that mindfulness has almost just been sort of neutralized and seen as something that's just to do with kind of a stress management or kind of calming down. And for me, mindfulness is really political. It's about understanding how we see um, and knowing our own blind spots and being more aware of our own prejudices. So I really wanted to include photographers who, um, who are, who have a kind of meta awareness, who see how they see um, Mm. and not just have, you know, pictures of lotus flowers and so forth. Um, So, uh, and I guess the question of kind of, um, of our, of perception and cultural biases and um and I also wanted to have a range of photographers I wanted to say that this is not just about nature photography or this is not just about um I don't know close-ups of of um your own face or something this can be there can be war photographers there can be protest photographers there can be street photographers there can be family photographers there can be nature photographers there can be still life photographers all of it can be approached mindfully it's not about the type of photography so the range felt really important to me um I also wanted to make sure photography is often a a white male dominated profession (laughs) and I really um I suppose I follow and care about a lot of female photographers a lot of queer photographers and I wanted the book to represent the the wider um range of people using image making in powerful ways so that um that was pretty key to me so I guess those two things the range of photography and the range of photographers was quite key nobody said no which was lovely I think um (laughs) I think I was inviting people to um to be in something that was a bit different and a bit fresh. So each chapter is based on a quality of mind. So um, I you know, was approaching somebody to say, may I write about your work in the context of generosity or in the context of humility or in the context of compassion? And that was maybe a little bit different from how they're sometimes asked. Um, I was very keen, while there are incredible um, photographers in there, including many very, very um, successful uh, photographers, depending on how you define success, but, you know, with huge um, cultural sort of kudos and gallery shows, I did really want ultimately it not to be about about pursuing success and not to be about trying to be like any of the photographers in the book. Yes. Um, So I was interested. So in a way, it's not really about the photography. It's about the qualities um, of uh, how practising photography can help you become... Um, freer as a human being and so I I suppose I was drawn to those photographers who speak a bit about what the process of um, doing their work draws out and challenges them in terms of their inner life. Mm. Yeah and and I really I really love the selection I love the fact that it's got landscapes it's got portraits it's got um, still life it's got wall photography it's so diverse Um, but also, like you say, you know, I know many of the photographers mm-hmm. in this book, but I also don't know many of them as well, right. which is really wonderful because it's actually introduced me to lots of people that I want to go and sort of follow up. And that's, of course, um, what publishers want. They want some names that you can identify with and hang on to and then yeah. 
lots of opportunity for new discovery. Yeah. And and let's talk about the structure for a second, these ideas of qualities of mind. Did um was it very clear to you from the beginning how you wanted to structure the book that you wanted to to start with qualities of mind rather than sort of a typical approach of like um I guess just talking about process. About it was how you so unclear it. to me and it was probably the biggest challenge of writing yeah. it and I think I felt like I was about four months in and I just couldn't I had so much information I felt like I had this really complicated structure and I knew that above all I wanted the experience of um, being with or reading or looking at the book to feel simple and spacious and I felt like I, I just know that my structure is not that <laughs> my structure is convoluted <laughs> and complicated and I'm trying to ram everything in and um, I had a brilliant conversation with um, a poet friend of mine, Charlie Davis, who um, is a sort of expert on clarity. And he just spent an hour with me. And it was such an incredibly brilliant hour that helped me get clear on um, on this sense of the, the inner cultivation of virtues. And then it felt as if everything fell into place. And the book kind of came together in just a matter of weeks after that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably quite common that you have all that heavy labor and I just wanted to make sure that the heavy labor didn't become the reader's job yes and I think this is so true because I think as well what we what we see as a reader what we feel and how we experience a book as a reader is very different to how the process can feel as an author um, because you're doing that work for the reader and it does feel spacious to read it does feel clear it does have room and it is such a beautiful structure in the sense of like I it feels an easy structure for me as a reader to kind of be able to just dive in and just sort of swim around in but um but I can see I can really see that once you I think with with lots of non-fiction authors that I've spoken to it's almost like you get you do all of this work and there comes a tipping point and as soon as that structure clicks into place everything just starts to settle and it all falls in the right bit and then and then you have your book and I really love looking at um contents pages I feel like I yes. spend lots of time with that thing where you go online and you can google books the first few pages and there are just some it's so it's so compelling when you feel that you want to be inside this structure, that you're being invited into a, a world. There was a book the other day, I can't remember what it's called, but it was structured by parts of a bicycle. Ooh. And um, it, I think it was a book about cycling, but it was like, you know, the chain, the this, the that. But it was actually a book about travel and expansiveness. And I thought that was so brilliant. Anyway, structure. I love it. And um I also feel in the case of a book like this that the freshness needed to come by not having a typical structure, not being structured by a photographer, definitely yeah. not being structured by anything to do with technology. Yeah, um, or genre. I mean, that's that's the thing as well, isn't it? The um there's there's lots of references in the book to um to I guess letting go of the idea of technology in a way. And I found it so completely fascinating. I remember when I first started becoming an assistant so I'd been shooting myself personally since I was 16 so when I moved here when I was 22 and I was an assistant to fashion photographers um it was so funny it blew me away how completely obsessed um let's face it most of the male photographers and male assistants were with technology and to the point where when I became a photographer myself and I had other assistants I often hired female assistants because they cared less about the technology than the men did sorry but also you just said not about that but 
breaking away from genre, which I hadn't really thought about, but, you know, because we said there are lots of different genres in there. But I mm. think genre is one of the ways that people get compartmentalized. Completely. Um, and we yeah. only look at things um, for what we're looking for. I talk in the book about this idea of inattentional blindness, that we can't see things because we're looking for something else, which like it happens to us all. We walk down the street, we're looking for, you know, I don't know, a sign or we're actually probably inside our head or listening to a podcast or something. Therefore, we don't see um, all sorts of things that are in front of us. And I guess that's true if we categorise things in in too rigid a way and too conventional a way. Mm. And somehow I want to, like, cause a little bit of an earthquake under the concrete of that. <laughs> Throw it all and up I- and let it rearrange differently. Which is what I found, which is so interesting and not surprising at all, given your career as well, having spanned lots of different areas. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll get into that in a minute because I'm really curious to hear more about, about your career and the, and the kind of direction it's taken. But, but I think that's so true. We get, we get very fixated on genre. And this is true for writers as well as, as any artists, I think, um, that, that we think and perhaps it's to do with um, – consumerism and capitalism perhaps but it's almost that um that you know we get we get put in a box and we need to um people want us to stay there almost because it's understandable right people can kind of I can compute that so you do this you do this kind of photography you write these kind of books um but but you know you know I I remember (laughs) I used to go to constantly going to meetings back in the day when we used to years ago when we used to actually do meetings where we turn up with a physical portfolio and I'd rearrange my portfolio before every single meeting with my agent. And, um, and you know, I'd be going in to do a job that was potentially going to be shooting lighting. And I'd have to make sure there were plenty of book, uh, photos of lamps in my portfolio because inevitably in every conversation what you would get is, but, yes, your work is beautiful and it's great and it's really interesting and it's really the vibe that we want. It's really the feeling that we want. But, you know, can you show us some photographs of lamps just so we can know for sure you can shoot a lamp? And it's like, yeah, I mean, a lamp is really not that different from anything else. But I love that, that you're doing this for yourself, Penny, and you're saying, I loved writing nonfiction, I loved writing memoir, and now I want to write fiction. And then that allows you <laughs> yeah. to discover a different part of yourself. And I, I understand, I of course, the rebel, rebel in myself. Maybe it's the rebel. But we have to withstand <laughs> that pressure that people will want us always to do more of what we've already done, yeah. um, especially if it's been successful. So I feel like... Um, would I like to write more books about street photography is a question that I've been asked so many times. And I think, no, I've done that. That was great. I'm really glad it was successful. And no, I don't really want to write another one. Yes. And interestingly, I've had the same question about caring and I don't see myself writing another book about caring. I mean, I will probably inadvertently write about caring on and off for the rest of my life, but not in that way again, probably. And at the same time, I was really struck when you were telling me a bit about the plot of your novel, how many of the themes that I associate with you from Tender are there in the, in the oh, yeah. ideas for the I'll novel. I'll never get away from it. So, and I, <laughs> I was struck rereading the introduction to The Mindful Photographer yesterday, thinking about the fact that we were going to talk about it today and thinking, wow, yeah, the stuff that I'm interested in, in the other parts of my life is all in there. It's Well, it's... It's very much, and, and only because I know we've had conversations about what you're working on now, did yeah. I feel that very much when I was reading <laughs> this, that I can see, I 100% see the path that's being laid for what you're working on next, which, sorry, listener, we can't talk about. But um, but so 
can I ask you about a couple of specific things in there, which I think is is so interesting? This idea of um, of um, I'm going to pull out this 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 quote that you have in here. Oh, I'm so excited to find which quote was particularly resonant. This was so interesting to me. Um, Jim Brandenburg, oh, yeah. which you, which who said, um, when you smother something with repeated shots, in a certain way it's demeaning, but when you value something enough to take just one picture, you're paying it homage. Mm. And I found that so interesting um, to me. I think particularly now where digital photography is so accessible in a way um, it's become devalued. Mm-hmm. Well, and he has such an I... interesting story because he is a very, um, very celebrated National Geographic photographer. So he travelled the world, you know, you've got to take thousands and thousands of roles and bring, bring them to the photo editor. And, um, and he just got really burnt out and totally exhausted and set himself this really beautiful challenge, which is lovely to talk about at this time of year, because as I'm looking out of my window, I'm seeing what's happened to a couple of trees in the opposite garden over the last two days and he set himself the challenge of watching spring unfold so going from equinox to um to equinox and over 93 days only allowing himself to take one photograph a day in his home state of minnesota and just radically slowing down recovering his love of photography um, but also I think it, it, it ended up the care that you have to take, like, you know, like mm. a sort of Zen archer or something to get that one shot right. And all the looking that becomes possible when you're not allowed to take a picture. That is really the benefit of having a camera at all. Yes. And it's so interesting because it's something I've always been, when I was younger, particularly, uh, I was always very anti-taking pictures. I know that sounds so strange. Um, obsessed with photography, but anti-taking lots of pictures. Mm-hmm. So I would, um, I would always carry film. First of all, for a really long time, I only shot on film because there's something about the finiteness mm-hmm. of film. You know, if you've got a medium format camera, you've got ten or twelve frames. If you've got a thirty-five mm camera, you've got thirty-six frames. That's it. That's all you've got. You have to be incredibly discerning. It costs a lot of money. Um, and so, and in fact, Polaroid even more. And I used to carry a Polaroid camera around with me for this exact reason: only ten frames. They cost a pound each each of those pictures and so you have to be really really careful about what you shoot and so I would go away on these trips with fashion photographers we'd be gone two or three weeks to these incredible places and the only thing I would take with me is a Polaroid camera um, because I knew that I could only afford 10 pictures for those two weeks or maybe 20 if I was lucky. Which makes me think a little bit about how it is to be writing and mothering at the same time because you just have to grab the small moments and you can't really be too fussy about when there aren't hundreds and hundreds of hours available that's like an hour here or maybe 15 minutes there or if you're lucky a three-hour block but you just have to really take advantage and use it well and and in and in I, and to kind of take that analogy even further, I think the similarity is as well in that, you know, when you take hundreds of in- images, you've got to build in tons of editing time. It's like you're basically giving yourself just so much extra work and there's so many more decisions that need to be ba- made. If you edit as you go, if you look instead of constantly taking pictures and you're kind of almost editing as you go, um, you're really um, saving yourself quite a lot of work in some ways. But as a But as a parent, when you don't have that much time to sit down and write either, it's almost like you have to just 
put that aside, you just have to kind of get on with the work. You can't, I don't know, um, dither in a way. You just have to get on with it. But so um, the other thing that really fascinated me, and I think is something that probably comes up, I think, a lot for all artists and creators of all kinds, is this idea of, um, of how saturated we are with input these days. And so I was really interested in this quote that was, um, one page, who are we? 86, um, Ernst Haas, Haas, this idea of um, beware of direct inspiration, it leads too quickly to repetitions of what inspired you, beware of too much taste as it leads to sterility. Mm. Um, that, that feels almost sometimes like a bit of a radical idea, this idea that we are too inspired, that we have too much coming at us. Oh, I feel like I'm... I am, I'm such a maximalist for inspiration. I feel <laughs> as if I'm interested in everything. Can you tell that from yeah. the book? Um, and, <laughs> and so in a way, um, of course, you always write what you need to hear. But this question of how less is more and how to pare down to find the commonality in all of, in all of those interests, I feel like my eyes are popping with just um, curiosity and delight and confusion and intrigue when I walk down the street. Um, and I feel that in the city and I feel it in, in nature. And I do often feel really overwhelmed. And so I suppose mm -hmm. in many ways, it it is a book about the world being overwhelming, coming at us at 100 miles an hour, how that is really exhilarating and energizing and also how it is to slow down and what become what kind of things reveal themselves when you slow down but the quote that you mentioned was from Ernst Haas who's a German Jewish photographer and I think one of the things I love his work um he was very uh pioneering in his early use of color photography and um playful abstraction and like very kind of um unbounded with uh, blurring things and things being out of focus and tremendous energy to his work. But the thing that really draws me to him is that he was so um, absolutely committed to his freedom. He was really talented and he was like offered a job as a staff photographer on Life magazine. And he said, no, no, no editor could give me the, um, the, the commissions that I would give myself. And I guess I'm a bit like that too. I feel like I don't want a staff job with anybody. I want to keep, I want to keep commissioning myself. I want to keep my freedom feels like worth more than anything. Oh, I mean, I, well, I very much, very much understand that sentiment. I feel very similar. And so on that note, let's talk a bit about how you got to this point. Um, so in terms of your work as a writer, you must have written in many different guises over your career. Um, so you, first of all, were commissioning books before you were writing them, is that right? I guess I've been writing um, in all my in all my professional life, there's been writing. I mean, teaching has been the thing that's really underpinned everything, but mm. teaching and writing often go together. Um, questions about my career just make me think, well, there's a lot of good scenes and a lot of good characters, but I really don't know what the plot is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I've, I've had been so blessed with interesting work and interesting opportunities and made a, made a lot of them for myself. Um, and I 
I feel like I'm interested in kind of following the energy, following the joy, rather than necessarily knowing where it leads to and not that bothered about sort of it making sense to anybody else. But definitely um, writing and teaching um, have been sort of processes that underpin everything and working a lot with other writers. And I suppose um, curating ideas um, and also I have you know, deep, long-standing interest. I suppose this is what led to the School of Life in how we bring ideas out of the archive, out of the cupboard and make them useful to the, mm. the process of actually living and the process of how we want to be in the world today. Yeah, and so um, so going from working with other writers and writing in your various different roles to writing that first book that you wrote um was street photography now the Mm -hmm. first the first one so that leap did that feel like a leap or did that feel like just the next natural step I I wrote it in the um in the three months before I was expecting my first child I had stopped running the school of life um when I was six months pregnant I felt like I couldn't do the cycle ride anymore (laughs) Um, and I was still in this very kind of, um, well, it's maybe it's a bit of a second trimester thing, but it was also a bit of a school of life thing, very ravenous, very energetic. And, um, I'd been working with street photographers, running street photography workshops, interested always in kind of looking at the world around us, um, for a long time. And that book just felt like it was just gestated with the baby in those precious Mm. three months that in a way... I was allowed, there's something very special about that time when you don't need to worry about what you're going to do next, but you get to stop what you're doing now. So, and it was summer and um, I wrote it all in this cafe um, in Hackney, which I still go to all the time now. And I feel quite a fondness for that July, August, September period. Mm. Oh, it sounds magical. It's funny, isn't it? How, I don't know, I, I feel like in a way, it seems to me your career, it's, is it is it that the next step illuminates itself, but not necessarily a big old path in front of you, but you follow, you follow your curiosity in a way and just take the next step and see what happens. I think so. But also I look back and I see a lot of common threads and common interests. I mean, I, I'm very interested in social justice and I don't really want to do anything that isn't connected with that I just feel that art and um culture are are perhaps the best one of the best ways to express the world that we want to live into um so I feel although the forms of what I'm doing the context the vessels might change a lot of the um the interests in justice and joy and delight and hope um and and the struggle um to find those things often through dark times personally but also dark times politically those are quite common threads that have been there all along yeah especially um especially with your work I know you worked with you worked with year one as well yeah yeah. so for like 10 years um all the way yeah from from the beginning so I taught maybe two or three hundred um young people who are all doing amazing um, social entrepreneurship and um, change-making work now. And it's just, it was 
the most incredible opportunity, the amazing decade. Um, I still work a lot with um, lots of the people that I taught and mentored through that program. And mm. I, I guess that business of kind of being one um, one removed from the front line and supporting the kind of, um, well, actually a lot of the qualities that are in this book, the courage, the humility, the confidence, the insight, the compassion of people who are addressing the most urgent issues of inequality in our time. It's just such a dream opportunity. And um, I only really stopped doing that teaching because of COVID. I just really wasn't interested in teaching online. But I still feel like that work matters to me a lot. Yeah, and I can see, you can definitely see when you look at your, you know, list of, of career and where it's gone, you can 100% see that thread that runs through and from reading the book as well. And I think that's what I loved about it so much because, I mean, it touches on so many things I'm personally interested in, but this idea um, that you can write about something like photography, which as you say in the introduction you know on the one hand somebody might say well why why do we what's important about talking about photography um and you make such a clear case for why it's so crucial for all of us to kind of almost um sort of look inwards at how we see the world and how we perceive the world and how important that is in the framework of social justice to understand how we see um and, you know, I found that personally really inspiring because this is something I'm constantly, as a writer, trying to work out how, how I can write in a way that is joyful and accessible and all of these things, but also address all the urgent things that I feel like I have a position and a place and a point of view to be able to do something about, to be able to help in some ways. And so being able to marry these ideas together is so important to me. Um, and it's done so beautifully in this book. And I, so I think for anyone who is writing about something that is both joyful and what some people might call unimportant on one sense, but they know is deeply important in many, many ways, I would really recommend that they look at this book for how you can marry these ideas together because I think it's done really, really beautifully. Well, honestly, that is the, the best compliment you could give me. Uh, well to the point of like something I'm working on at the moment I think I might need to get your advice um <laughs> it was amazing actually because reading it I was just like ah oh, this is how you bring ideas together so I would really recommend any writer who's working on something non-fiction at the moment where they're trying to bring multiple different ideas together um and trying to figure out how they can do that I think you know both from a structural point of view the way you structured it but also just from in terms of the tone and how you've addressed these various different points um it's really beautiful the way it's all come together really really beautiful thank you penny um well thank you so much for being here talking about the mindful photographer um it's been such a pleasure and it's out on what's the date it's out again oh it's out on the 21st of april um yeah and also there's going to be a um a launch on the 28th of April at the Photographer's Gallery, which is open to anyone. So if there are any photographers oh, or anyone fabulous. else listening who'd like to come, just turn up. It's a, it's a late evening and I'll give a little talk. Well, I think this episode is coming out just a few days before that. So anyone listening who wants to join, please, um, please come along. Um, it was just such a pleasure. Thank you so much for reading it and giving such a and your thoughtful response and have bringing together your writer and photographer perspective on it and really touching and illuminating for me. 
You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write, where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow. And please leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.